Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everybody. I hope that you're all doing well. Today, we have two spooky stories that are guaranteed to give you the chills. I really hope that you enjoy them. So let's get into it as we drift further into Mr. Creep's mind. I own a ranch out in the middle of nowhere. Something strange has been eating my cows. Written by just the girl next door. It all started with a phone call. I picked up on the third ring. Jesse. Paul started, his voice cutting through the silence of the night and waking me from the deepest sleep that I'd had in a while. I just checked on your cows and a couple of them slipped through a break in the fence. Rubbing a hand over my face, I blew out a frustrated sigh and peeked at the clock on my dresser. The red numbers glared back at me tauntingly. 11.32 Despite being absolutely exhausted, I knew my farmhand couldn't handle it all on his own, and these cows were my bread and butter. If I lost any more, I would be madder than a hornet's nest. Jesse, Paul questioned. You fall asleep on me, brother. I shook my head, more to convince myself than him, sat up in bed and threw off the covers. I heard you, just real tired is all, but I'm up. A crackle settled over the phone before I heard Paul clear his throat and say, Yeah, they've gone over yonder to the tree line. I'm sure we can get them rounded up though and we'll get you back to bed here soon. With a tug, I yanked on my boots and laced them up. Eh, thanks, brother. I appreciate your help. Just let me get my bearings, and I'll be there in two shakes. See you in a bit, he said, the phone disconnecting. Honestly, now that I thought about it, the fact that Paul was even out this late was strange in and of itself. I didn't know what he was doing out in the pasture at this time of the night, but I did know that it wasn't safe. For the past couple of weeks, cows have gone missing right and left, and I had felt increasingly helpless. Something had to give, and it wasn't going to be me. Whatever or whoever was doing this was going to pay for the chaos that they had caused one way or another, because there wasn't any way that I was just going to roll over and let it happen. With a glance in the mirror, I ran a hand through my hair, blew out a breath, and switched on my lamp. I threw on an old flannel and headed downstairs just in time to be caught by my little sister. Jessie, what are you doing up so late? She asked, her big brown eyes peering up at me from the living room couch. You know, I started, a small grin tugging at my lips. I should be asking you the exact same thing, young lady. With a huff, she held her nose in the air and looked down at me, a bowl of Captain Crunch in her hands. Sixteen-year-olds don't need a bedtime. She paused and then pointed towards her bowl. And besides, I was famished. You can't cook worth a crap. Famished, I muttered, the word floating from my mouth on a sarcastic breath. I don't know why in the world you go around using words like famished. 
The last squirrel and dumplings be the bullet Captain Crunch any day. I quipped, my hand coming down to ruffle her hair. She scrunched up her nose, set down her bowl, and trolled her eyes before saying, You and I both know that's a lie. Suddenly noticing that I had my shoes on, she quirked a curious brow and said, Where are you headed this late at night? Booted feet trudging over to the door, I winced when I heard the floorboard squeak. I really needed to replace that. I'm heading out to the pasture. A couple of the cows got loose and Paul needs help rounding them up. I should be back before sunrise and just make sure. I'll come help too, she retorted, already racing over to her room to track down her own boots. Ava, I shouted from the living room. Don't worry about it. I'm sure between Paul and I will do just fine. Despite my qualms, I watched as she came clomping out of her room, feet shoved into worn and weathered boots and her braids loose, baby hair sticking out in every direction. With a shake in my head, I chuckled at her stubbornness, realizing this was just one battle that wasn't worth fighting. Stepping out into the cool night air, I waved her onward, unlocking my old pickup truck and shoving my key into the ignition. Ava plopped down on the seat next to me, her hands picking at a scab on her elbow. The old truck choked a couple of times before finally sputtered into life and then we were speeding down the old dirt road, dust kicking up into the air in thin brown puffs. When we finally made it to the ranch though, Paul wasn't anywhere in sight. Only having a landline had its advantages and its disadvantages, and right now it was the latter. Maybe he had run back home to his old lady. She was as big as she was round. Her belly stretched out clear in front of her like an overly ripe watermelon. This was going to be their first child and she was due any day now. Paul, of course, was increasingly paranoid that something would happen to her or she would need something when he wasn't around. So he never strayed too far from her side. Although I haven't ever married and had kids of my own... My worry was somewhat similar when Ava was out of my sight for too long, so I couldn't blame the man for running off if that was the issue. Shoving the thought aside, I made a mental note to call him about it later. Jesse, Ava called, her voice cutting through the still of the night. She had already hopped out of the car and was halfway across the cow pasture, standing right smack dab in the middle of it. Ava, it's darker than sin out here. I need you to stay close to me. There's no telling what's lurking out in these parts at this time of night. Oh, come on. Don't be a baby. Even in the dark, I could sense her sass. Her tongue sticking out at me rebelliously as I fought a losing battle to not step on the countless cow patties littering the pasture. Somehow, in my sleep-deprived state, I had grabbed my nice pair of boots instead of my mud-crusted ones caked in who knows what else. Ava, I'm serious, I warned. I already have to look for these cows and the last thing I need to be is looking for you. I paused, my voice stern, but softened a little around the edges. Listen, you came here to help, not hinder, you hear? An exasperated sigh left her lips before she finally relented and shrugged her shoulders. Fine, I'll stay close. I patted her shoulder and pointed towards the few heifers that were grazing along the tree line. Listen, the faster we work together to get this done, the faster you can be back home eating your Captain Crunch. 
strolling across the field with me, her steps fell in line with my own. Three of hers for every one of mine. It'll be soggy by then, she quipped. I punched her lightly on the shoulder, shooting her a grin. Hey, I'll make it up to you by taking you to the Waffle House in town. Her eyes suddenly lit up at the offer before she grabbed my arm and practically dragged me along. Deal, she said, a smile spreading across her features. A couple of hours later and we both quickly realized that gathering the cows and mending the fence took a whole lot longer than we had anticipated. Wiping some sweat from her brow, Ava suddenly glanced over towards me and then back around at our surroundings before saying, Did you hear that? Hear what? The cows mooing? I nudged her shoulder playfully and then spoke up again. Yeah, it's kind of what they do. She punched me in the side, narrowing her eyes and said, No, stupid, it sounds like a lady or something. Like she's talking to someone. My eyes met hers, my face contorting into one of silent skepticism. Ava, I don't hear a darn thing besides the wind blowing through the trees and those cows moving way over yonder. Now help me pack up my toolbox so we can get the heck out of Dodge before you scare yourself even more. With a huff, she helped me load everything back into the toolbox before she stopped again. I eyed her, stopping what I was doing and folding my arms over my chest. What is it this time? I questioned, my brows raised expectantly. There's no way you didn't hear that, she exclaimed, her movements animated as her hands flew up to express her concern. This time it sounded real deep and gruff, kind of like a man was talking. I brushed it off, pressing the toolbox closed and picking it up before turning to her and saying, I think your imagination's just going a little haywire. Peeking a glance at my watch, I internally cringed when I noticed that it was about 2 o'clock. As I took a couple of steps across the pasture though, I noticed that suddenly the night noises came to a standstill. I stopped in my tracks, looking over at Ava and noticed her do the same. This time I felt a strange tension in the air. The pasture's normal harmony of moves was suddenly quiet. The crickets from before it even died down their music fading into an odd silence. It became very apparent that we were all alone and something about that felt terribly uncomfortable. By the time that we had mended the fence, the cows had wandered far across the field, deciding to hunker down under some trees for the night. Fog crept over the lush grass, coating the pasture in an almost ethereal haze. Something about it was eerie, and it made me just uneasy enough to kick myself for forgetting to grab my gun off my nightstand. Jesse, Ava whispered, breaking me from my silent observation, her voice silently wavering. I turned at my heel to face her, my eyes taken in her worried expression, her own eyes as wide as saucers. Ava, what? Over there, she pointed, cutting me off her finger shaking like a leaf. Following her trajectory, I stilled. Every hair on my arm stood on end when my eyes connected with two more near the tree line. Ava looked like a deer caught in the headlights, her own arms sprinkled in goosebumps. The eyes glowed hauntingly, a sinister smirk fixing itself to the creature's face, a smile way too wide to be human except for the fact that it appeared as if in some strange way, it was. 
Despite this thing being shrouded in darkness, there was no mistaking the outline of a human-like form. I wrapped my hand around Ava's arm fast as lightning and began to hurry the both of us out of the field. Ava, I whispered, you gotta move faster, come on, you've gotta help me. My legs made quick strides across the pasture, but Ava was still struggling to keep up. I made a quick decision, grabbing her up and throwing her over my shoulder before jogging towards the truck. I threw the both of us inside, quickly locking the doors and peering out across the pasture, expecting to see those glowing eyes still fixed on the two of us. Except, there was nothing. Still shaken up, I shoved my key into the ignition of my old diesel truck, hoping and praying that it wouldn't give me any trouble this time. A shiver raced down my spine as time crawled by. Distressed, I waited for the orange glow on my instrument panel to fade, mirroring the unsettling memory of that creature's eyes, the way they gleamed from the depths of the woods, only proving to add to my ever-growing anxiety. When the engine roared to life, though, there was no relief. The turbo barely had a chance to awaken before I got the heck out of Dodge, barreling down the road a spewing plume of rolling coal left in our wake a frantic attempt to outpace the lurking fear behind me. What was that? Ava suddenly asked. Her knees huddled up to her chest as her arms wrapped securely around them. With a quick scan of my surroundings, I looked in the rearview mirror and exhaled a sigh of relief when there was nothing but the trees and a cloud of dirt behind us. I honestly have no idea what that thing was, but I do know that I'm going to call Paul as soon as we get back to the house and get this all straightened out. My voice shook slightly, but I tried to mask it, clearing my throat and gripping the steering wheel instead. The last thing that I wanted was for Ava to know that I was scared out of my doggone mind. Jesse, she said, her voice soft and quiet, hands picking at a loose string on her jeans. It's okay to be scared. I knew she was only trying to comfort me, but one of us had to be strong so I shook off my fear as best I could and reached out a hand to pat her knee. I'm not scared, I replied, my voice smooth and even. I'm just worried. The second that we pulled up to the house, though, that worry slowly morphed back into fear. Something familiar was lying on the front porch. Slamming the truck into park, I hopped out and ran up to it. There, splayed out across the wood, was a bloodied mass. A cow... I held back a gasp, trying and failing to steady my stomach as it bubbled and churned. Instead, I bent over and dry heaved, the smell infiltrating everything around me. Blood and guts squirmed and writhed with millions of maggots. The badly slaughtered heifer laying there with her black, glossy eyes staring up at the ceiling, tongue dangling from her mouth. Large lacerations covered her body, monstrous chunks missing from the abdominal area. It took all that I had not to vomit. The sound of the truck door rang out as Ava closed it, and before I could stop her, her feet were padding across the grass to stand beside me. I heard her gasp before she quickly reached towards her shirt, tugging it up over her nose to mask the horribly wretched smell. Covering my own nose with the sleeve of my flannel, I motioned for Ava to follow me inside. I needed to inspect the cabin, but I also wanted to keep her close. Together, the both of us carefully moved throughout each room until we were satisfied that we were safe. 
And once we both gave the okay, we plopped down on the couch and just stared at each other. Neither of us mentioned the cow still laying outside on the front porch, but I was certain that somehow we both knew how it got there. Exhaustion clung to us like a wet t-shirt, but it was apparent that the adrenaline coursing through our systems had us both working in overdrive. And that's when I heard it. The landline in the kitchen. It's gotta be Paul. I stood from the couch and hurried over to the phone, nearly tripping over my own feet as I answered it on the first ring. Paul, I questioned, my voice a bit too loud, a bit too unrestrained and a whole lot of worried. Where the heck are you, man? Suddenly the line crackled and a voice came back over the speaker. Jesse, Paul's. There was a pause, but the slight edge that the voice had was unmistakable. Missy, is that you? Where's Paul? Pause. Her voice wavered again before I heard the phone being snatched from her hand and another voice floated over the line, the tone both sinister and calm. I'm sorry, Jesse. It crooned, its voice deep and smooth. Paul's not here right now. In fact, Paul was just getting in the way, so I simply had to. The voice trailed off, the line crackling again. Fear coursed through me and I couldn't help but break out into a cold sweat, the realization finally dawning on me. This was the creature. Instead of following us home, it had run back to Paul's house. But why? You, my voice shook. You didn't, you didn't kill. Oh, but I did, the creature hissed. I could almost feel its grin widening at my unbridled disbelief. You see... I'll say it in a way that your poor human mind can comprehend. Missy here's got a bun in the oven. The creature drew out and then he suddenly went quiet, giving me a second to let it all sink in. And when it finally did, I paled and nearly dropped the phone when it responded. And it doesn't belong to Paul. Today's episode is sponsored by HelloFresh. The holidays are right around the corner and HelloFresh can help take the stress out of dinner by delivering everything you need to cook up tasty meals right to your door, saving you tons of time. Just like always, HelloFresh's ingredients travel from the farm to you, so you know that they're fresh. And everything arrives pre-portioned so you can get right to cooking quickly. With the weather cooling down, my go-to HelloFresh recipe is the one-pot creamy lemon dill chicken soup. It's super easy to make and it helps keep your stomach full and happy. To get started, go to HelloFresh.com slash free and use code MrCreepsFree for free breakfast for life. One breakfast item per box while the subscription is active. That's free breakfast for life at HelloFresh.com slash MrCreepsFree with code MrCreepsFree. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. I watch security cameras in an old government building written by Mr. Mills 45 I have an idea of what you might already be thinking. How could something as boring as watching security cameras in an old government building for 8 hours a night be worthy of a post on the Strange Experiences blog? Well, let's just say that there's more to my occupation than meets the eye. 
For legal, personal, and common sense reasons, I can't give out my personal details or any specific information about the organization that I'm employed with. And doing so could legitimately jeopardize my job and even put me in danger. So my name and other personal details I do divulge will either be modified or made up simply for the purpose of preserving my own security. However, I have some things that I want to get off my chest. Things that I'm going to type up and throw out into the void that is the internet. I just want people out there to know that things in life aren't how they seem at first glance. To start off, I've been working at this current branch for the past three years and I hadn't applied through Indeed, word of mouth, or any sort of official job posting. No, I simply received a detailed offer letter in the mail from my current supervisor, outlining the duties and salary for the position. I went out of my way to call the phone number and visit the location of the building to make sure that it was legitimate but they were pretty quick to prove that it was. Although I have to add they were purposefully vague on some parts here and there, and the reason as to why will become more clear later on. A few members of higher-up administration handed me what amounted to a stack of paperwork and contractual documents, which I was required to read through and sign if I desired to obtain the position. Most of it was your typical liability and benefit things, with a bit of NDA stuff thrown in there as well. But it was never really clear on what it is that I wasn't supposed to discuss publicly. Just the general operations of my position were to be kept on the DL. As I stated before, it's my job to keep a close eye on CCTV feeds and cycle through security cameras that are set up throughout the building that I work in. What I failed to mention earlier, however, is what I'm supposed to do when I notice something that isn't quite right. You see, I'm not a security guard, nor am I supposed to even leave the office that I'm barricaded inside of whenever I'm on duty. Not until my shift is over, and not a minute sooner. Instead, I'm supposed to take detailed notes and documentation of what I'm seeing and how it is affecting the surrounding environment of whatever is within the frame of the camera. There's the usual stuff of trespassers and animals finding their way onto the property, but there are also things that you wouldn't usually see in your average day-to-day. -day. I'll start with an experience from my 12th shift or so. I had come in like any other occasion, hung up my coat, prepared my documentation book as well as getting myself clocked in, locked up, and barricaded inside the office. The area in which I conducted my work was a large metallic desk against a wall that had seven different monitors mounted on it. Each one displays a feed from one of these seven cameras set up throughout the building. I'll be somewhat vague in my descriptions of the layout of the building for my own safety. Camera 1 watched the entrance to the building, or as I called it, the lobby, which was a 30 by 30 room that mainly consisted of the reception desk an array of couches and chairs, as well as an unlit fireplace whose usage was reserved for the winter months. Camera 2 was focused on the inside of the building's elevator, which is what you would expect. Camera 3 was set up at the beginning of the main hallway, with three doors along it, two on the right wall and one on the left. The one on the left to be in a bathroom while the two doors on the right led into an administrative and entry-level office. Both are separated by a simple wall between them, 
Cameras 4 and 5 sat in the corner of these offices while cameras 6 and 7 watched the exterior of the building. 6 was in the front while 7 was focused in the back. The first couple hours of the night were rather uneventful and mainly consisted of me listening to music while doodling in a notebook that I had brought with me. The previous nights leading up had been pretty much the same, and it seemed like it was going to stay that way, until I noticed something strange on camera 4, which was the camera that had watched the administrative office. At first glance, especially as somebody who wasn't too familiar with the details of the room, I had trained for days on end and I was tested on my memory of the details of the layout and the furniture arrangement of each room. It wouldn't be anything noticeable, but to me, it was more than clear that something had changed. There was a chair that was previously pushed in under a desk towards the corner of the room, but it was now pushed out and turned at a 90 degree angle. I know how it sounds. How could something like that even matter? I probably misremembered how it was positioned or my imagination was playing tricks on me. Now, this was something that I needed to be reported and nipped in the bud by the right people. So I documented what I saw down to the second when I had first noticed the change. And I kept it front and center of my notes for the night in the event that it needed to be added onto. You can believe that I'm overthinking all you want. It's honestly an understandable perspective if you're on the outside looking in. I looked at my supervisor like he just told me aliens are hiding in the White House when he told me how seriously that I had to take stuff like this. But as I've come to learn, there's a reason for it. I zoomed in on the chair, specifically the legs mainly to make sure that they were still there, which they were, thank God. I quickly took several screenshots of the chair at different zoom levels, which I then followed up by exporting them to a new folder in the file storage of the computer. And grabbing my documentation book, I wrote down everything I possibly could, the time, date, the position of the chair, as well as the degree that it sat relative to the desk. And for the time being, that was all that I was really supposed to do. Every now and then, little discrepancies like this can have a sort of ripple effect and pile up on each other. Which is why I needed to be focused and take things slow as I comb through the cameras. I shifted over to camera one, aka the building lobby, and after a thorough look, nothing seemed off. Nothing that was detectable anyway. Surprisingly, this was the location of the building that usually came up the most empty-handed when it came to any incidents, shall I say. Then there was the back of the building. It was a 20 by 20 foot yard surrounded by an 8 foot high chain link fence, with a generator against the wall next to the back door, and parallel to the generator sat a large green dumpster, like you would typically find in most major city alleyways. I squinted as I leaned in somewhat close to the monitor, as I noticed that the left cover on the dumpster was fully opened and swung over the back. It was supposed to be closed. It was always supposed to be closed after 7pm. I wasted no time writing down what I saw and I panned the camera around the back of the building exterior, looking for any more discrepancies. I stared hard at every little crack and crevice that was detectable on the camera, 
If there was one benefit of this job, besides the money and wow, the benefits, it would be that it really conditions you to be aware of details that most people wouldn't notice. But that's a double-edged sword because sometimes that tendency to pay too close attention to things can end with you seeing things that you never wanted to or should have. From what I could tell, it appeared that what I had seen was all that I had to deal with for the time being. I finished up documenting everything that I could, and the room fell quiet as I typed and wrote away. Nothing but the sound of my keyboard and the pen clicking to accompany me as I got to work. I didn't really notice how hushed it became in a short time span that I spent putting my work together. There was always a slight humming from the air conditioning unit, and the white noise coming from these system speakers in the room. But when I really stopped and held my breath, I could just barely detect the faint sound of my own heartbeat. I froze, keeping myself still as I concentrated on the monitors. My heart began to speed up, I could feel it, but I convinced myself to stay calm and keep a level head. Fear is both a blessing and a curse in humans. Too much will cripple you and too little will get you killed, but just the right amount will keep you alive and in one piece. Several minutes passed and the silence continued to linger. Luckily, I didn't find any other abnormalities present on the monitors so that helped to calm my nerves just a bit. But it was a blissful feeling that unfortunately wouldn't last much longer. It's actually kind of funny how much we as humans rely on noise to keep us comfortable, despite the fact it's a common sentiment among people to seek out peace and quiet. But too little noise can literally drive you insane after long periods. But I sat there nonetheless, toughening it out in the merciless quiet, I kind of think of silence as I think of darkness. When your brain is stripped of its ability to effectively use one sense for too long, eventually it starts to fill in the gaps. Think of shadows in the closet as the visual version of footsteps in the hallway. Luckily for me, however, the AC humming soon returned. I assumed it was just a typical defrosting session, and I let my nerves get the best of me for nothing. Everything had settled down over the next hour. No reports were made as no abnormalities appeared, and I survived the majority of my shift. So I was just cruising along, keeping my eyes peeled and sipping on an energy drink to avoid getting too tired. And for a while, too, nothing caught my attention. I was, however, getting so fatigued that my eyelids became heavy. I shook my energy drink, feeling that there was only a couple of drops of liquid left inside of it. For a short moment, I turned my attention to the right side of the room, specifically the corner in which a metal filing cabinet was set up. I had another energy drink waiting for me on top of it. With some hesitance, I got up and out of my chair and I walked over in order to retrieve it, and as I reached over and grabbed a hold of it, something just below me caught my eye. The top drawer of the cabinet was slightly ajar and I was able to see inside of it. My curiosity peaked a bit when I saw a document laying inside. The light from the rest of the room allowed me to barely read the bold heading at the top. Incident Report 17B Personnel Disappearance 
I fought the urge to snoop any further. I had a job to do. And as most would say, it would be foolish of me to lay a finger on that document. So I exhaled and stepped away from the cabinet. A slight sinking feeling in my stomach arose as I sat down in my chair and got back to work. Nothing had changed in the time that I was away from my desk. But the document was stuck in the back of my mind. And that wasn't mentioning the fact that I felt like an incident report pertaining to someone's disappearance would be kept as somewhere a bit more secure and secretive. Especially when that disappearance likely happened on the job. Sure, maybe it wasn't my place to be worrying about that kind of thing. Because if I was meant to have known about it, they would have told me. I looked back at the filing cabinet once more, staring at it with an intensity that I didn't even notice at first. It was a long, drawn-out length of eye contact. Eye contact that was only broken by the sound of a high-pitched, repetitive beeping coming from the monitor speakers. I swung my chair around and immediately laid eyes on the feed from camera 2, aka the interior of the building elevator. In the upper right-hand corner of the screen were two simple words written in bold white text as the beeping continued. Motion detected. But as far as any sort of physical abnormality, there wasn't anyone or anything inside the elevator, and none of its interior contents had changed or shifted since I had last seen it. So the only way this was possible is either the elevator itself was moving, or the alert itself was the abnormality. My supervisor hadn't mentioned anything like this happening. The equipment itself wasn't supposed to do things like this. Nonetheless, I quickly got to documenting not only the abnormality, but also making a mental note to have a follow-up conversation with my supervisor as to why he left this pretty crucial piece of information out during the onboarding. The beeping sound and motion-detected message eventually ended, giving me the opportunity to write down the ending timestamp. Nothing like that had ever happened on any of my shifts leading up to that night. Speaking of which, less than half an hour remained on my shift, and I would soon be able to go home and get away from what ended up turning into a frantic night. Sure, there are harder jobs out there, jobs where your life is even more at risk. Jobs that stretch you to your physical and mental limits. A steel mill worker, a roofer, an FBI field agent, a bomb squad agent. And while they're all dangerous to some degree... At least you can understand what the danger actually is. Murderers, explosives, molten metal. They're tangible, you know how and why they're threatening. I don't get that luxury. I took a deep breath as I checked the rest of the feeds and everything ended up remaining stable for the rest of my shift. When the time came and the sun would begin to rise in around 20 minutes, I packed up all my stuff and left behind my documentation for my supervisor to recover when he arrived. I had ensured the monitoring office was properly locked and secured, but as I stood in the hallway jangling my keys while I guided them to the door, the feeling of being watched crept up on me, and I couldn't help but turn my head left and right just to be sure that I was alone in that hallway, a dimly lit, long and eerie hallway. From what my eyes reported back to me, I was, and it was relieving. I locked up the office and tested the door just to make sure that it was secured. And once I knew for sure that it was, I put my keys away and headed over toward the elevator. 
I stopped just a few feet in front of the rectangular metallic doors, looking them up and down as if sizing them up. I'm not sure why I hesitated, perhaps I was still on edge, but I couldn't shake the feeling that it wouldn't have been a good idea to enter. That if those doors opened and I stepped in, well then I might not step out. So instead, I simply weighed my option and decided that taking the stairs was the solution to my dilemma. It was only minutes later when I made it out of the building and got into my car. I never locked my doors as fast as I did that night, and it took me a few minutes to actually start driving. As prior to doing so, I kind of just slumped back into my seat, took a few deep breaths and stared blankly out into the empty parking lot. It wasn't that I necessarily felt like my life was in immediate danger, but there was just this lingering sense of something being off. And I do mean other than the things that were already off about my situation. But I was technically off the clock at this point and I just wanted to leave this shift behind me until I returned the next evening to do it all again. So I started up the engine and put the car into reverse as I backed out of my parking spot and gave the building one last look for the night through my windshield. My eyes peer up to the second floor and I catch a glimpse of something utterly bone-chilling. In the window furthest to the left on said second floor, I lay eyes on what looks to be the shadow of a humanoid figure standing there, as still as a statue, seemingly looking out into the parking lot. I couldn't make out any facial features of this mysterious person. From what I had been told by my superiors, I was the only one inside the building after the regular hours of operation had concluded. So this was puzzling and more than unsettling. This person, most likely a man due to the somewhat muscular frame, continued to not move in the slightest. And as I backed further away from the building to pull out, I couldn't tell if he or it was looking specifically at me or not. I put my foot on the brake and stopped the car just before reaching into my purse and pulling out my cell phone to aim it at the window. And as soon as the camera came into focus, I snapped three pictures in rapid succession. Afterwards, I tossed my phone into the empty passenger seat next to me, put my foot on the gas and put the car in drive and booked it out of there, leaving it all behind me for what remained of the night. I surprisingly got a decent amount of sleep that night, and when I returned the next day over an hour early, I first hunted down my supervisor who was in his office filing paperwork. His shirt and tie wrinkled while he also sustained bags under his eyes. Olivia, good to see you. What brings you in so early? He inquires, cutting himself off and raising his arm to look at his watch. Your shift doesn't start for another 50 minutes. Well, I was just hoping that we could discuss a couple of things if that's okay. I reply, taking a seat in the chair on the opposite side of his desk. Absolutely, and good work last night, by the way. I appreciate the detail in your reports. He said, flashing a forced smile. Not that I thought he had bad intentions behind it, but rather that he was dealing with something that clearly bothered him, but wanted to maintain a positive demeanor. That's part of what I actually wanted to talk to you about. I then proceed to tell and ask him everything that I planned on, the motion detected incident, the figure in the window as I left the previous night. Although I left out the part about the document in the filing cabinet, figured it probably wouldn't make me look great or help my case. 
My supervisor, who I will now refer to as Larry, kept silent and allowed me to tell him of all these things uninterrupted, which I really appreciated. He liked to be listening intently, taking a genuine interest in what I was saying. And then I reached into my pocket and pulled out my phone in order to show him the picture of the figure. I pulled up the photos up and opened up the picture before flipping my phone around and allowing Larry to look at the screen. An expression of confusion formed on his face. He darted his eyes between the phone screen and then to me, looking as if I had just told him something absurd. What exactly am I supposed to be looking at here? He questions, squinting his eyes as he leaned in closer to the screen. It's in the window. I say, but it does nothing to shift his expression. My curiosity peeks as to why he's reacting the way that he is. I hastily turn the phone around and let out a slight gasp at what I see. Almost everything in the photo was just as I had taken it. The resolution, framing, positioning, all of it. But the figure in the window was missing, gone, vanished as if it were never there to begin with. I swore to myself up and down that I looked at the photo in detail before pulling off. I knew for a fact that I did. Something else was at play here and it was at odds with me. I think Larry ended up sensing my stress and so in a calm tone he told me, I believe you and yes, you are supposed to be the last one in the building when you leave. I'm going to go ahead and make a report file for this but before I do, is there anything else that you need to tell me about? Yes, I want you to. I began taking a deep breath before continuing. I want you to tell me what I've gotten myself into, what I've really gotten myself into. Don't sugarcoat it, please. I'll know if you are. And I mean this with no disrespect, Larry. But I know you're not telling me everything, and if I'm going to continue to be here, I need to know the reasons behind why I do what I do. There's a multiple second pause and Larry looks at me and then over at the wall before cupping his hands together and exhaling. Clearly he was hesitant to answer, but he does nonetheless and it was the last thing that I wanted to hear. Olivia, I can't. You know that I can't, I'm sorry. I grab my bag and begin to stand up out of my chair. The intent of what I'm about to do evident. Well, I'm sorry to say, Larry, but I'm afraid you'll have to find somebody else to fill the position. Well, I'm sorry to hear that, but before you go, I need you to take this before I escort you out of the building. Larry leans over and grabs a stack of sticky notes before picking up a pen and clicking it twice. He focuses, writing something down on it rapidly but carefully. After he finishes, he hands it over to me with a nod that indicates he wants me to look at it right away. I do and I keep my lips sealed as I read what it says. I'll tell you everything. I can't in here though. Too many ears. I look back down, nodding at him in a moment of mutual understanding. Okay, fine. I say somewhat loudly in order to keep up appearances. But I'll stay on if I can get at least a 5% raise. Well, I'm glad you've decided to stay and I'll do my best to make arrangements regarding that. Larry responds at a volume similar to mine before lowering it to the previous tone that he had taken when we were speaking earlier. If you want to relax and take a little time to get ready for your shift, I'm going to go ahead and edit your time card. You're non-exempt and I want to make sure that you get paid for this time. Thank you, I appreciate it. 
I say with a light smile. But just before Larry begins to focus his attention on his computer, he grabs and frantically writes something down on another sticky note before handing it to me. I look at it. On it is a date, time, and an address. The date being for tomorrow, the time being 6pm, and the address was that of a diner, one that was just a couple of miles away from the building itself. I lower the sticky notes and put both of them into my purse. I plan to dispose of them at home and not here, not worth the risk of other staff here finding them. But nonetheless, I was still cautious. I liked Larry and was more than happy with his willingness to help me, but I wasn't fully sure that I could trust him. We were meeting in a public place where he planned to tell me everything, so I guess that was somewhat of a good sign. But it appeared for now that he was the only one in this place that came close to anything resembling an ally, and I wanted to hold on to that with an open but suspicious mind. But as far as I knew, I was soon going to find out everything that I needed to know. I arrived, the diner was moderately busy, and we had decided to meet in the late morning, the transition period between breakfast and lunch, which was actually rather smart coming in here while it was completely swarmed and discussing what we would be discussing would be foolish. We want just enough people in here creating enough noise to drown out our conversation, but not enough to where we're packed in so close that somebody could potentially eavesdrop on the discussion without us noticing. Larry was seated towards the back of the diner in a booth. He waved me down once noticing me and I headed over, smiling at a waitress on the way in order to appear more cordial. Now that I look back, I maybe was overdoing it just a little bit. Hey, glad you made it. Larry greets me as I sit down. You ready to talk shop? I grill impatiently. Yeah, but let's order something. Makes us look less odd. Just want to make sure that we cover all our bases. It'll be on me though, so get what you want. I appreciate it. It was after Larry and I's waiter came over and we had placed our orders that he took a deep breath and stopped to seemingly gather his thoughts. So, he begins in a hushed tone, cupping his hands together like a father about to have a serious talk with his child. There's not really any way that I could put this without it sounding crazy. I guess would be the best word to use here, but do you happen to believe in the supernatural, Olivia? I was taken aback by his inquiry. At the time, I was more than a little skeptical when I came across ghost hunting shows or supposed found footage of paranormal events taking place. But even back then, only a matter of weeks into my job... I was a lot more willing to accept the idea of greater forces than ourselves at work. Let's just say I haven't closed myself off to the possibility. I reply to Larry. Alright, so some of the stuff I'm about to tell you is not even the full picture. The true details are far above even my clearance level, but I'll tell you what I know. He posits just before taking a sip of his drink. Can I ask why you're so willing to do this? Why are you willing to put your job at risk just for me to know about this stuff? I know that I asked for it, but why are you sticking your neck out for me? Because I need somebody else that I can talk to about this stuff quite frankly. There's only so many times that I can go home to my wife and kids and pretend like the things that I see, the things that I hear about are completely normal. Every night I go home I tell them lies on top of lies about what I do. 
It's necessary, Thawa. Last thing that I need to do is risk their safety. Keeping it all to myself just gets so tiring after a long time. And sure, you can bust my balls and tell me that this is what I signed up for. It is. But at the end of the day, I'm just a man, nothing more and nothing less. And keeping this all locked up inside drives me crazy. Well, I begin. A fair point, but it still puts you on the cliff edge. Is that really worth the potential cost of your job, your life? Larry pauses, sighing softly before replying. I've learned now that it's worth the risk. Larry stops, to which I interject with a question. So, what you're trying to tell me is we basically watch over a haunted building. No, haunted implies that there's something hostile in it, not that the very structure itself is hostile. I blanked, comprehending what he was implying with that last sentence, but still having a hard time accepting the idea of it. How can a building be hostile? Ghosts, demons, werewolves, cryptids. Those make sense. They're sometimes living, conscious creatures with instincts, desires, and emotions. But a hunk of bricks and concrete? How? The structure itself, I comment. Have you ever heard of the hungry house hypothesis? No. I most haven't, and that's because you're not supposed to. Even I technically shouldn't. Then how do you? I did a bit of snooping, stuck my nose in a few places where it shouldn't have been. Almost got me into some hot water a couple of times, but I wiggled my way out of it. Point is, the hungry house hypothesis lays out a simple but pretty wild idea. And that idea is that buildings, especially homes and other structures meant to have people in them for extended periods of time. While they develop a bit of sentience, intelligence whatever you want to call it from those that inhabit them. Our human consciousness sort of rubs off on them in a certain way. Think of it like being on a boat in the middle of a lake. No matter how hard you try, you're going to leave with at least a little bit of extra moisture. Uh, I begin, before Larry cuts me off. I know I know not the best analogy, but you get my point. Over time, buildings, especially houses, start to almost reciprocate feelings of attachment toward those who dwell inside them. But, like with a lot of stuff in life, people move on. They go to different places and leave things behind, including their living spaces. Abandonment would be one way to put it. And how do people usually feel when they're abandoned? While they're hurt, betrayed, and resentful sometimes. Buildings are built for one reason and one reason only. People. So when they're stripped of that purpose, they become spiteful like a person would. I know it sounds like I'm spewing nonsense, but this is the best way that I could think to say it. Your house, your place of work, they don't just shelter living things, they nurture them. Think less of a house and more of a womb. The creaks in the floorboards that you hear at night, the rattling of pipes, it's the structure talking, communicating in its own weird way. You ever look around the house for something that you lost and you could have sworn you had it in a specific spot, but it's gone. That's one way that it likes to communicate. It wants you to search around, check out every crack and crevice and explore its inner workings. It's like a bonding experience to it. It's when the people that it holds lock up and leave for the night. Does the structure get a bit restless? 
and that's why we have you on at nights, watching and monitoring things. But as for the figure in the window that night you left, I'll make sure to look into it. I couldn't help but feel both unnerved and unsure. What he was saying shockingly made sense after a bit of extra context, and I couldn't think of any other logical explanation for what I was seeing. It sounded insane on the surface, but after everything that I had seen, I wasn't willing to just write it off on the spot. So, to sum it up, buildings are sentient, I probe. I'm gonna assume you have some questions. Definitely, I just need some time to think and wrap my head around it. I believe you, but believing isn't the same as accepting. Minutes passed before our waiter returned to our table with the dishes that we had ordered. We ate in silence for the rest of the time that we were there. It surely wouldn't end up being the last time that we spoke about the subject. When my next shift came around, I was pretty much operating on an entirely different mindset. Thinking of the work as more of a service rather than a duty, if that even makes sense. Now that I had a better understanding of exactly why I was doing what I was doing, it brought me an odd sense of comfort, one that would soon be snatched right from me. There I was, just a couple of nights later, sitting in my chair in the barricaded office and staring at the monitors, waiting for something to appear. I clutched my energy drink in hand, sipping it as I continued to observe, and for a while nothing had changed. It was a relatively uneventful night, all until I caught a glimpse of an abnormality on camera one, the lobby camera. There is a piece of framed artwork that was on the right wall perpendicular to the front door. Artwork that was a photorealistic portrait of Abraham Lincoln looking directly at the hypothetical viewer. It was a standard picture of just good old Abe staring right at you with a blank expression. However, what I quickly noticed made me a little uneasy. I zoomed in just to confirm what I was seeing. Abe's eyes were completely blacked out the iris, a pupil, and all, as if somebody carefully colored them in with a sharpie. It was an abnormality that I hadn't come across at that point in time, so I documented exactly what I saw, a sinking feeling creeping its way into my stomach as my pen glided along the paper. It just sat there staring out into the lobby with those two empty voids for eyes. No other time in this job had I felt like I was being watched more intensely than in those moments. It wasn't quite terrifying, I would say, just more on the cusp of disturbing. I'm sure you're all familiar with the phenomena of feeling like you're in danger, despite there being no immediate threat to actually harm you. Well, it was kind of like that, except that after everything Larry had told me, that feeling of being watched made more sense. While I was on this job, I was always being watched in every room at every angle, by the very structure surrounding me. Did the barricaded door this room sat behind even have any chance of keeping me safe if the building decided to retaliate? I guess that would be the best way to put it. Combing through the monitors again, another abnormality reared its ugly head on camera 3, the main hallway on the second floor. My floor. As for what was wrong, while well, the door to the entry-level offices had suddenly appeared to be open halfway, prompting me to flip to a fresh page in my notebook. 
but as I sat there letting my ink stain the paper, a sudden and moderately pitched hissing sound emerged from the left side of the room, like hot air traveling through thin pipes. I snapped my head around, staring right at the wall that it was coming from like I expected something to burst right through. Of course, that didn't happen. Instead, the hissing simply persisted and shifted back between that and more of a low creaking noise, almost comparable to somebody climbing up loose wooden stairs. I put forth an effort to tune it out, but it continued on, nagging me as I attempted to ignore it. Eventually, I looked back over at camera one, and to my shock, I see that the painting of Black-Eyed Lincoln had completely disappeared from its spot on the wall. I immediately rotated the camera around, trying to spot where it might have moved, or have been moved to. But what I saw only confirmed what I had already assumed. The painting was nowhere to be found, nowhere in that room anyway. I checked the hallway camera as fast as possible and I didn't see anything that wasn't already out of the ordinary. This prompted me to move on to camera 4 and receive the same result. Cameras 5 and 6 were also no different, but I froze in my seat once a familiar sound suddenly surged its way into the room, one that drowned out the hissing coming from the wall. It was a continuous, repetitive, high-pitched beeping. I peer over at camera 7's monitor and in the upper right-hand corner, I see two words in big white bold letters. Motion detected. My eyes stay fixated on it for a few seconds, as if I was in a trance of some sort. But I snapped out of it and looked over toward the middle of the monitor, right where the back door to the building was located in the frame. My grip on my pen involuntarily tightened as I saw the portrait sitting there, propped right against the door, lifelessly gazing out into the black abyss that was the back of the building. I got right to work writing down times, the position changes, and every detail that I could include. At that point, only an hour of my shift remained. Larry had told me that no matter what happened around the time I have to clock out, I should leave and not worry about what I see after I'm off the clock. I should be mindful though when leaving the building, but once I'm off the premises, I should pretend like this place does not exist. It's not something you usually hear from a boss, but I'll take it. The hissing and creaking in the wall began to fade after about 20 minutes, but I would hardly say that I was at a point where I could relax. But things had somewhat settled down as far as abnormalities go. Nothing else had happened over the course of the last half hour or so. I let myself chew on my thoughts as I scanned through the camera feeds absent-mindedly staring at the monitors. My main focus at that moment was trying to process everything, my situation, my decisions that led me to that point, and what Larry and I had discussed. I sipped on the last bit of my energy drink, trying to get a little last shot of caffeine before my duty ended. I didn't really plan on going to bed when I got home like I usually did. I didn't really see myself getting a lot of sleep tonight, or today, should I say. Luckily, I had the coming day off which would allow me to run some errands, maybe go out with some friends and feel a bit more normal. Of course, I couldn't discuss any details of my occupation while doing the latter. Whenever work was brought up, I left it at, just a government job, and if they probed further well, 
I wasn't above telling whoever it was I simply filed and faxed paperwork. As the clock ticked and my time came, I gathered my things packed up and stepped outside into the hallway to lock the office door. Out came my key from my pocket, jangling and clashing together as I inserted them into the door's lock. In the moment that I did, that same feeling of being watched crept its way back to me, except it felt more potent this time. I'm not exactly sure how to put it into words, I don't even know if I can, but I'll take it a crack at it nonetheless. Last time, it felt like something was in the hallway staring me down and sizing me up, watching my every move. I pictured it more as a tangible, singular threat, something evil lurking around the corner. This time, however, it felt like I was being watched by the hallway itself. Like every inch of the wall, ceiling, and floor was keeping constant visuals on me. And you want to know the craziest part about it? I didn't know which one I hated more. The scattered shadows and darkness of the hall seemingly stared right back at me as I looked at it. Despite the fact that it had no eyes, no face, and no mouth, I could almost sense it was attempting to speak to me, as absurd as it may sound. What was only a matter of several seconds passing by felt like minutes as I stared down the corridor. Eventually, I ended up shaking my head to snap myself out of it, like somebody who had spaced out at work. I finished locking up with haste in my step before once again making the decision to take the stairs instead of the elevator, one that I would be making for the foreseeable future after that first time. I got to my car, this time taking care to not look at the building. I figured I'd be better off not accidentally seeing something that I wasn't prepared for. Plus, my shift was over, so horrors beyond human comprehension were no longer my problem. I made it home, which I now felt just a bit differently about after my recent revelation. But I took good care of my house and appreciated its existence. So I was fine, right? Probably not something that I should linger on for too long, just for the sake of my own sanity. I'm going to end things here. I'm not sure when I'll be able to update again, but it'll come at some point. It's been Olivia, signing off. So there I was, simply at the grocery store, stocking up on various things for the house when I had received a cryptic text from Larry. I reached into my pockets, I heard the sound of the notification and pulled out my phone. I see the message and it reads, Please come in early, I've got some things to discuss. You see, you would think that that would excite me, bring me some relief, but no. Larry wouldn't send a text like that, it's far too risky and is literally a written record of our activities, shall I say. Somebody else had gained access to Larry's phone, I just knew it. I also knew that whoever it was wouldn't have our best interest at heart, so I had to be cautious. If I'm too careful, I'll have eyes looking my way that will notice my safe behavior. If I'm not careful enough, I can end up putting both Larry and I in serious danger, as if we weren't already. I didn't respond to the text, instead I simply marked the notification as read, and continued on with the rest of my shopping trip. I'll say firsthand it wasn't easy to just pretend like everything was perfectly fine, but it's not like I really had much of a choice. I headed into work the next day with a pit in my stomach. I stopped at Larry's office just before heading into the surveillance room, and to my relief he was in there chipping away at a stack of paperwork. Evening, Olivia. 
he said, but the expression on his face isn't that of comfort, not at all. I stepped forward and entered his office. I got your text. Sorry about not replying. I was busy with a few things before I got here. I announced in a tone that I hoped wouldn't raise any eyebrows, should anybody be listening. No, that's more than fine, just as long as you saw it is all that really matters, Larry responds, darting his eyes between his desk and me. I caught on to the signals that he was trying to convey, and that's when I knew that something was going down and it was going to involve us. Larry reached over to his filing cabinet and grabbed an unlabeled folder, gripping it under his arm before marching over past the threshold of his office into the hallway. Let's go outside and have a chat. He stated in a tone that just barely concealed his unease. Let's. I replied with exaggerated enthusiasm. All right, Larry huffed as we made it outside. My boss came in not too long before you got here. He's still inside visiting the rest of the staff. He's smart enough to not say anything about us to any of them. It's above their pay grades anyway, so we should be fine for now. But in the event that we aren't, take this and don't open it until you get home. And if anybody asked what I handed you out here, tell them that it's your first quarter bonus check and benefits package documentation. My heart sank as the words left his lips but I maintained my composure regardless. How much do you think he knows? I grilled. I can't tell, which is why I need to tell you to keep your head down. Anybody talks to you or even looks at you the wrong way, let me know, but we should be in the clear for now. But from the conversation we had, we might be on his radar, and potentially people even higher up the food chain as well. Now, before I say what I'm about to say, I look back with the benefit of hindsight and see that it was a pretty risky move to bring it up at the time. But obviously, I'm still here writing this so it didn't turn out horribly. What am I referring to, you might be asking? Well, I brought up the file that I saw in the drawer some nights ago, the one with the heading that read, Incident Report 17B Personnel Disappearance. Why were you looking around in there? He quizzes, raising an eyebrow at me. Oh, come on, let's not act like I'm the only one who's done some snooping on stuff that they shouldn't have. Larry shakes his head in a manner that signaled hesitant agreement, but agreement nonetheless. Uh, fair enough, but you didn't touch it at all, did you? No, just caught a glimpse of it. Didn't lay a finger on it, I promise. Oh, thank God, he huffs. Well, do you know why it exists? Who's it talking about? I push on to which Larry suddenly raises a hand, implying that he wanted me to stop talking. At first, I was a bit annoyed, but then he darted his eyes to the left without moving his head. I allowed mine to follow and see what had got him extra scared out of nowhere. In the second floor window of the building stood a middle-aged man in a suit, his arms crossed and staring down at the both of us, an expression that screamed vexation on his face. But judging by Larry's reaction, I knew that it was his supervisor whom I had yet to meet. I'm going to stay with you tonight on your shift. There's something that needs to be done and I don't want you doing it alone. Larry stammers. What? I can't tell you right now. I've got to run a few errands, but I'll be back within the hour. If he's still here by the time that I text you and tell you that I'm on my way back, send me a plus sign. And if he's not, a minus sign. Nothing more or less. 
I will. I nod just before he starts walking to his car. I turn my attention away from Larry and back up to the window, seeing that it was now fully empty which left me standing there uneasy. If it was true that Larry's boss had found out about what we had been discussing, then it was only a matter of when, and not if, things escalated further. The real question is if we would even be prepared when that time came. I went inside and headed to the surveillance office in order to start preparing for my shaft, and to my surprise of pretty much no one, Larry's supervisor had appeared, and as I sat there in my chair gathering up my pen, energy drinks, keys, and documentation book. He stopped by, leaning against the doorway while his arms were crossed with a disingenuous smile. Well, hi there, Olivia, he greeted, prompting me to respond with haste. Oh, hello, mister. Roger will do just fine, he interjects as his smirk remains. Oh, great, well, it's nice to meet you, Roger, I reply, standing up and offering my hand to shake, to which he reciprocates. You as well, Olivia, Roger declares, his smile becoming just a bit wider. There is a brief period of silence between us, one that was broken by Roger recrossing his arms and beginning to lean against the doorway once more. Well, I don't mean to sound uptight, but obviously I'm not just here for a meet and greet. I wanted to ask you a couple of questions face to face. Sure, what's it about if you don't mind me asking? Oh, I've just been gathering some feedback from the building staff in order to make sure that everybody's running smoothly enough for you all to perform your job duties. Plus, I've got to take this stuff back to the home office with me. Seems to be that you're the only person that I haven't gotten a chance to speak to today. So, I would just like to ask, how would you describe Larry's management style? I pause, sifting through several potential answers all of which posed some risk to either me or Larry's reputation. But if I was really being honest, I didn't think it was about that at all. And when this feedback of mine did make it back to the home office, it wasn't going to be under the guise of a simple performance evaluation. I would say that he's great. Always on top of things, he listens and makes sure that I have what I need to be able to perform my job duties. Roger's expression suddenly turned sour but it only lasts for a fraction of a second, as if he accidentally revealed something to me that he shouldn't have and needed to course correct. Well, that's great to hear, really. Is there anything you think he might be able to improve on or correct? Don't worry, whatever you say here won't come back to find you. He says in a way that was meant to sound reassuring but only succeeded in sending a chill up my spine. I'm sure maybe something might pop up in the future. I really haven't been here for very long, but he seems like he's pretty open to feedback. So perhaps I could get back to you. Roger's smile fades once again, but unlike last time, he made no effort to correct or change his expression. Instead, he takes a step forward, keeping his arms crossed as he peers down at me, his lanky frame vertically filling out the doorway. You're completely sure... There's nothing that he does that may impede your work. Nothing that you feel is holding you back from being as productive as possible. His tone had gone from that of genuine interest to a threatening one. Unfortunately, no. I retort firmly with a slight headshake, doing my best to resist his attempt at intimidation. 
Roger doesn't respond verbally, purposely staying silent and likely hoping that I would crack under pressure. But I remained strong, staring him down as he did the same to me. Well, that's great to hear, he laughs, his demeanor completely switching. If you have any questions or concerns, though, Larry has some copies of my information in his office, and he's obligated to give you one if you ask. I appreciate it. Roger then turns his back to me, facing the hallway in order to begin walking away. But before he does take a step, he turns his head, and only his head slightly, as if feigning the desire to look at me as he spoke. I have to get going, got a few meetings to attend to tomorrow, bright and early. Have a good shift, Olivia. I kept silent as he exited out into the hallway, waiting until he entered the elevator to pull out my phone and text Larry the minus sign. And just for good measure, I went to the window to watch Roger get in his vehicle and drive away. Later on that night, Larry and I sat in the surveillance office together. He brought in an extra chair and did some paperwork on the right corner of the desk, while I sat in the middle staring down the monitors to look for any abnormalities. We talked about the whole ordeal while working, but also obviously made sure to change up our exact wording and make it sound as if whatever we were discussing wasn't work-related. There weren't any cameras or listening devices in the surveillance realm, but on the off chance that we were wrong, we didn't want to shoot ourselves in the foot. Uh, don't let him intimidate you, Larry grumbled in reference to Roger. I didn't. I replied absentmindedly, my attention still focused on the monitors. Oh good, I'm gonna guess he had a couple of things to say about me as well. He did, but it wasn't anything too direct, just mainly implied incompetence on your part. Yeah, that figures. Larry huffs, trying and mostly failing to hide his indignation. He's always been like that. The guy walks around like he owns every square inch of the ground that he walks on. Never met someone so up their own butt. I didn't blame him for being irritated, and if that's what he has to deal with on a regular basis, then I feel bad for the guy in all honesty. We sat and worked in mostly silence for the time being, occasionally going back and forth about personal lives. Larry had informed me about his love for video games and we went back and forth on a few that we both played, discussing both what we liked and disliked. Like, I get that it's not real, but getting shot in the head twice, virtual bullet or not, it should make whoever it is sit their virtual butt down, he says with a chuckle. Yeah, shoot for the body, way too easy to miss headshots when they can just crouch or maneuver. Yeah, but then I feel like it takes away too many bullets. Larry was interrupted when both he and I caught something off on camera four, the admin office. In the corner of the room sat a fridge that these staff used to store their various food for lunch breaks and snacks, the door to which was slightly cracked open, but the light inside of the fridge was turned off, which was odd, seeing as its function was connected to the door itself when it shuts, it turns off, and when it opens, it turns on. I grabbed my documentation book and began writing down the abnormality, keeping my report as exhaustive as usual. Larry peeked over at what I was writing, seemingly more interested in my work than his own. His engagement would only increase once I focused in on camera two, the elevator interior, and saw something that had both of us freeze right there in our seats. 
There is a figure, shadowy and slightly transparent in nature, tall, broad, and humanoid in its shape. It simply stood or rather levitated there. It didn't move or shift at all, it just floated there, mere inches off the ground, and by the outline of its head shape, it almost seemed as if it was staring directly at the camera, and by extension, us as well. We both wanted to say something to acknowledge what we were seeing, but the first few seconds of our dual observation was nothing but silence. There wasn't any particular protocol for me to follow regarding this scenario, as this kind of thing wasn't meant to happen. Or at least, it hadn't before from what Larry had told me. So I sat there hoping that he would be some kind of help. That's, that's... I began stuttering due to my disbelief. It's the one you saw that night, isn't it? He asked, his tone no longer confident. All I respond with is a simple nod of my head. The figure, who I now dubbed as the Shadow Guy, held his position firm, not moving one bit as he continued to seemingly stare down the camera. As I sat there, just as still as he was, looking at the monitor like a dumbfounded child with Larry. But our near immobile states were quickly disrupted once we heard the sound of a deep, groaning creaking coming from the ceiling above us. Although we had no visual on the source of said sound, and if it wasn't your typical, old building makes a noise deal. I gripped my documentation book before I looked back down at the monitor and saw that the shadow guy was no longer present. Squinting my eyes and leaning in closer to the monitor did nothing but confirm it. Just as he appeared, he had vanished. We need to leave. Larry curses with an expression of desperation manifesting. His plummeting level of confidence made me uneasy by proxy. He stood up hastily before walking over to the door and putting a hand on the lever. What? I asked in a way that broadcasted that I was desperate for an answer. He simply turns his head, looking at me with a deadpan but unsettling stare, broadcasting his fear to me. This room, it isn't safe anymore. We have to go now. Larry exclaims, clamping down on the knob and signaling for me to follow. I got up, grabbing the documentation book before he waved his hand backward toward the monitor as he pulled the barricaded door open. Once the door was open, Larry and I made an immediate dash to the right down the main hallway, our footsteps echoing as we picked up the pace. He led me to the rear of the building which had me thinking that we would bust out the back door. But instead we stopped near the end of the hallway which prompted me in my frantic state to question what it was that we were actually doing. But before I could even utter a word, Larry leaned his body against the wall. His eyes squinted and he groaned like he was applying force to it. I watched as a rectangular shaped section of the wall suddenly sprung inward. There was no handle or even hinges present, just a simple section of the wall opening up like something out of a spy movie. I didn't have time to sit there and ask questions. I darted in with Larry, not bothering to even check my would-be surroundings, until I was on the other end of the threshold. We stepped into a decently sized room, something like 20 by 20. The entirety of the walls on both the left and right are lined with massive storage servers. All I could practically hear was the sound of them whirring and humming. The change in temperature compared to the hallway that we were just in was more than noticeable, and I'm sure they were at fault for it. 
In the center and back wall sat a large desk with four chairs, each seemingly having its own currently shut off monitor perfectly aligned with it. I stepped forward in order to get a closer look, looking up and catching a glimpse of a web of cords and wires running along the ceiling in a tangled mass. Larry pushed the section of the wall shut behind us, sealing us in for now. What? What is this? Somewhere that will be safe for now. His tone came off more nervous than usual, which was understandable given the circumstances, but I couldn't help the feeling that he was still hiding something. Are we able to use those for surveillance? I asked, pointing to the monitors at the other end of the room. No, oh, no, they just store footage that's already been saved and archived, but there is something I want to show you, something that I should have shown you by now. I look up at Larry, raising my eyebrows in an expression of suspicion. He catches on, returning my glare with one of his own. What's with the look? He grills. I feel like there's something that you're not telling me. Well, you and I both know that I don't really have a choice, but now that we're here, we can talk about whatever we want. Even if they have listening devices in here, the servers are running loud enough to cover up our voices if we keep them down. We approach the desk with the monitors and Larry boots up the computer that they're hooked up to. You might want to have a seat, it's going to be a long night. All four of the monitors suddenly switched on, each displaying different things but it didn't matter because I focused in on the one that Larry was viewing. He had a security footage archive program open and the footage currently being displayed in the program was that of the elevator. The date in the corner was that of a week ago. Larry then modified the date, changing it to a week before the date that I was officially hired and put on the job. The footage then jumped to a paused frame of the date and time that Larry had keyed in. What is this about? I asked calmly, sharing a glance with Larry before he returns his attention back to the computer. Incident Report 17B You wanted to know what happened to the guy who came before you? Well, um, here you go. The frame of the footage is focused on the main hallway of the building, in which a young man stands in the middle of, dressed in black pants and a grey-coloured polo, along with a pair of black sneakers. The timestamp in the corner reads, 4.30am. He couldn't have been older than in his late 20s and in his hand he held a suitcase that he carried with him as he paced down the hall and arrived at the elevator. He pressed the button in order to call it, Larry and I watch intently as he waits there for several seconds that it takes for it to arrive. And once it does, he steps inside uneventfully. Nothing strange or abnormal had taken place at that point in time. Larry then switched the camera perspective to that of the lobby after the doors closed behind the man, which allowed us to see where he would be coming out of the elevator. We waited and several seconds passed and the doors that opened but it was completely empty, with not a single visible trace of him ever being in it. Weird, but why don't we try to look at the elevator interior camera? Maybe we can see why he didn't come out. I propose, only for Larry to move his mouse and click a few times as he responded. You mean this? Larry then pulls up the feed to the elevator interior camera and leaves it suspended at just a couple of seconds before the man is supposed to step inside. He hits play and the footage immediately begins to become choppy, and in the blink of an eye becomes full-on static for 12 seconds, 
which was slightly over the amount of time the man was supposed to have spent inside the elevator. We've had several guys do everything they could to get a hold of what happened in that time frame, but they weren't able to pull anything. It's gone, he's gone, and we have no idea what happened to him. And it all went down on my watch. Larry continued. His eyes quickly lowered to the floor and I noticed him go slightly limp. But it only lasted for a second as he too seemed to notice his sudden decline in posture. Roger brings it up nearly every time that he visits. Has to make sure to remind me that I was incompetent enough to prevent it. His name was Jacob, by the way, and he had a kid on the way. And I had to go up to his wife and lie right to her face. Tell her that I hope that wherever her husband is, that he's alright and will find his way back to her. Nothing but a bunch of BS. A deafening silence emerges and I sit there looking at both Larry and the monitor in front of him. His head hung low and I could tell that this still weighed on him far more than he was letting on. You weren't there in the moment, there wasn't a thing that you could have done, I said with a firm tone. Uh, Roger doesn't see it that way, he's happy to hit me over the head with every opportunity that he gets. But I know that he doesn't give a single crap about that kid. Yet he walks around and talks about him like he was his son or something, it makes me sick. He'll get what's coming to him one day. I say in my best attempt to be reassuring. And we can only hope. I don't want to sound insensitive, but I gotta ask. The Shadow, do you know or do you know what or even who it is? Larry didn't answer right away, instead he turned in his chair, facing me before he rubbed his forehead with a tired sigh. At most, my best guess is that it's an avatar or a representative, if you will, of the building itself. Every now and then, when a structure becomes angry enough, it'll manifest things that can act more directly on its will. How do you know that? I'm not even going to ask. Trust me, I wish I knew too. Never a boring day here, that's for sure. Larry and I both gave a small chuckle, one that I realized I needed more than I thought. Those last several months were filled with nothing but stress and ongoing paranoia. The short moment was nice while it lasted, but an inevitable thought crossed my mind, a thought that prompted me to give voice to a question. How do you know this room will keep us safe from that thing out there? Larry freezes for a more seemingly contemplating how he should answer. I don't, not for sure anyway, but it's our best chance until morning hits. He begins before exhaling, indicating that he had more to say. I'm sorry for not telling you about much of this stuff sooner. Probably would have never been in this situation if I had just let you known from the start. But we'll make it out of here, we have to. I'm not letting another person vanish on my watch. What happened to Jacob won't happen to you. Oh, knock it off, I shot back firmly. I appreciate the apology, but like I already said, Jacob wasn't your fault. This isn't you talking, it's Roger, don't let him get in your head. He wouldn't be able to run this place the way you do if you gave him a 200-page manual and a decade to read it. A short-lived smirk emerged on Larry's face. He and I were able to wait things out for the rest of the night. It was just after four in the morning before we left, and despite everything that had occurred, it was a genuinely peaceful drive home. The silence of the early morning darkness just before the busy rush 
gave me some time to think about my situation and everything that Larry had told me. I know that sooner or later things would come to some sort of confrontation between us and the higher-ups, but until then we were going to keep working together to expose these things as best as we could, or at the very least, I was. My ride home came to a halt when I pulled into my driveway. I did everything as usual, turning the car off and stepping out after gathering my belongings. However, I froze after getting a glimpse at my front door and noticing that the porch light was off. This immediately put me off. I always had it set to be automatically turned on at 8.30 every night. Always. And so I hesitated and took a couple steps back toward my car before unlocking it again. I opened the passenger door before reaching into the glove box to retrieve the pistol that I had bought, semi-recently at the time. I figured my situation justified it. I was no gun expert, but I had it loaded with the safety on, which I swiftly switched off before I approached the house. I didn't immediately head for the front door, instead opting to circle around the house and head to the back door. But as I crept across my yard, that feeling of being watched had emerged yet again and I snapped my head around trying to look for any sign of a presence other than myself. But I was only met with nothing but the quiet night, with the occasional crickets. I gripped the pistol tightly and shimmied my way along the back exterior wall of the house, and once I had reached the door I used my free hand to dig into my pocket to retrieve my keys. I cautiously unlocked the door as quietly as I could and slid inside. All the interior lights were off, just as I had expected, but I didn't want to turn them on, not just yet. Before moving any deeper into the house, I sent a text over to Larry, letting him know that I arrived home safe, and that I would follow up with another text in the next 30 minutes. I figured it would be best to leave some sort of paper trail, just in case. I kept quiet and gently shut the back door behind me, locking it as well. The silence in the house was deafening and now there was nothing to break it up. Instead, I just stared off into the darkness of my own home, and a part of me felt like it stared right back. Fortunately for me, I knew how to navigate the layout in the dark. I took my shoes off and just kept my socks on in order to make my footsteps more quiet while I began to search the house. The living room, kitchen, bathroom, and cleaning closet were all secured and empty, I felt a relief unlike any other each time I found nothing in each location, which means the last thing to check was my bedroom. I maintained my light footsteps down the hall, and never did I think I would be so grateful for having carpet instead of hardwood flooring, but I could see nothing had changed from when I left. The door to my room was just about halfway open, which was just how I had it before leaving for work. I leaned in the door, pausing my breathing as I tried to listen for the slightest noise, but none came. I reached for the light switch next to the door and flicked it up to turn it on, but after a quick glance around, everything was just as I had left it, not a thing out of place. Weird, I thought, before lowering my gun and placing it on my nightstand table. The house was definitely secure, maybe it really was just a situation of me being paranoid and overthinking, but I mean, could you truly blame me? And although it hadn't been 30 minutes quite yet, 
I pulled on my phone and began to text Larry. I get about two words in before I hear something that caused me to halt like a kid who had just been caught sneaking out at night. A voice, one that I recognized, one that I despised. Trust me, you'd be wasting your time. You won't get it. Roger. I didn't even bother turning around or reaching for my pistol, mainly because I heard the sound of at least three others being chambered not far behind me, and any sudden movement would basically amount to a bloody death. I raised my hands in the air while still facing forward as I heard the multiple sets of footsteps approaching. I guess you just couldn't really keep sticking your nose where it didn't belong, Roger snarled. What happened to Jacob? I barked in return. Jacob? Ah, uh, figures Larry would have told you. I'm sure you know plenty more than that too. We'll have to do something about that. He states with a threatening undertone. I turned around slowly but cautiously now facing Roger and two security officers, dressed head to toe in black gear, both with pistols drawn at me. I kept my hands in the air as we kept talking. If you're going to put me six feet under, you might as well do it quick. Roger shakes his head from side to side in a mocking motion. Eh, you're more of an asset to me alive. Larry, on the other hand, well, his usefulness is starting to run dry. Roger then motions for the security officer on his left to move forward. And he does, just before pulling his arm back, cocking a fist and throwing a punch right at my head. Everything went black before I registered any sort of impact, and I wasn't sure how much time had passed while I was out cold, but it had to have been significant, as I had woken up in what appeared to be some sort of basement room. The walls and floor were made from concrete with wood beams running along the ceiling. Although I wasn't sure about the exact dimensions of the expanse, it was something like 12 by 12. On the wall to my left is set a wooden ladder that led up to an also wooden hatch on the ceiling. Panic started to set in once I realized it was most likely locked or blocked off, and I was trapped down here, wherever this place was. But still, I climbed the ladder and tried the hatch regardless, even pounded on it a few times for good measure. Nonetheless, it appeared that I was trapped. Of course, all my belongings were nowhere to be found as well. I had a pretty good feeling that I wouldn't be getting them back. In the middle of my futile escape attempt with the hatch, a faint humming sound originated from behind me. I turned and laid eyes on a chair that sat in front of a desk propped up against the opposite wall, with nothing but a monitor resting on it, which was turned on and its screen displayed what looked to be a live feed of a room similar to mine. Concrete walls and floors all the way down to the wood beams on the ceiling but my heart sank into my stomach once I saw what was in the center of this mirrored room. In the middle of the space was a black chair and sat on it, or rather tied down to it, was a battered and bruised Larry with a black eye and busted lip. He looked up directly at the camera or whatever the source of the video was, almost as if he could see me. Heck, he probably could. And for the first time since I met him... He looked utterly terrified. Can you hear me? I asked in a rather desperate tone, to which Larry slowly nodded his head in response. 
I'm not sure how long they've had me in here, but with the way Roger was talking, I'm not sure it'll be much longer. We've got to get out of this one way or another you can't give up, because then I'll... I stopped my sentence midway through as I watched Roger step into frame. The look on his face told me all that I needed to know. Anger wasn't the right word to use, he looked too far beyond that. He held a pistol in his hand the same one he brandished at me back at my house. His eyes narrowed down to Larry who returned his hateful gaze. You two have no idea what you're dealing with, no idea the chaos that would ensue if the truth about our operations made it to the public. What do either of you even have to gain from all this? You always were ignorant, Larry spat, prompting Roger to respond with a sharp backhand across Larry's mouth with his free hand. Shut up. Stop it, Roger, stop. It doesn't need to get to this point, just calm down. I practically shouted at the monitor. That ship has sailed. You both had more than one chance to stop and remember your places, but you had to go and play detectives. He snarls and responds. Oh, screw you, Larry sneers, to which Roger then points the barrel right of the pistol at his temple. It hovers just inches away and Larry remains silent as Roger's facial expression morphs into one of utter rage. One more word, one more, just go ahead. Irreplaceable, you always were, in your work and everywhere else. When you end up on a missing person's log... I'm sure that little family of yours will learn to get by just fine without you. That last remark visibly enrages Larry, his anger far exceeding Roger's. He lunges forward despite being tied up and bites down on Roger's hand. Roger's subsequent howl as a result came through the speakers as I watched a small amount of blood spill from the wound. Larry pulled back with a feral look and for a moment he flashed his red-stained teeth at the camera before spitting out excess blood. Roger had dropped his pistol due to clutching his bleeding hand with his other one. After everything that had taken place the last couple of days, I couldn't say that I felt much sympathy for him, but at the same time I knew that Larry's outburst wouldn't go unpunished. Roger's next sentence confirmed so. Take him now, he shouted with a seething rage. I watched as these same two security officers who had been present during my initial abduction entered the room. Roger barked his orders yet again at the both of them, and they did as they were told, dragging Larry out while Roger continued to snarl and seethe. I knew I couldn't just sit there while they did God knows what to him, and despite how redundant and pointless it felt at the time, I dashed back over to the ladder that led up to the hatch in the ceiling. I climbed up and then began to pound down said hatch with my fist. Although it wasn't doing very much, blow after blow and I barely even nudged it. I tried everything from hitting different spots to even hanging down on it and hoping that my weight would be enough to snap the lock, but both of those proved to be just as futile. After what I counted to be more than three dozen strikes, I paused, looking up at my now red and raw fist. It stung like crazy. But it wasn't exactly on the top of my list of worries. My fear was now coupled with rage. Rage that almost felt long overdue. I thought about what I wanted to do if I ever got my hands on Roger. I wanted to wipe that smug smirk right off his face. 
and make him feel the same fear and paranoia that he had forced upon us all this time. All those thoughts bubbled up and I clenched my stinging fist before furiously throwing it upwards at the ceiling hatch. Hitting it with a groaning cry into my utter disbelief, the hatch actually flew open with a crashing thud, and light poured down into the expanse. I looked up, seeing a familiar white tiled ceiling above me. I hesitated for a bit before climbing my way up, fearing that there might have been a presence or guard of some kind waiting for me at the top. I also noticed that the lock in the hatch had been completely snapped off, something that I definitely didn't possess the strength to do, unless it had been severely weakened and withered away. I climbed up slowly, my hands on the ladder rungs with a vice grip. I made it to the top and slowly peered over the threshold of the hatch, and was immediately greeted with a terrifying sight, one that made me freeze like prey in the eyes of a predator. The room that I had climbed up to was almost empty, another tiled ceiling at the top, a hardwood floor at the bottom as well as a doorway that had no door in it to speak of. The room itself wasn't much bigger than a medium-sized office, but none of that was what had me sitting there stiff like a frightened rabbit. Just a foot or so in front of the doorway to the room stood the shadow guy. It was my first time seeing him up close. His appearance was consistent with what I witnessed before. Just a tall, dark, almost void-like shadow in the shape of a man. His entire mass or lack thereof seemed to vibrate side to side, creating an eerie, pulsating effect. I'm not sure if my ears were playing tricks on me, but there was a faint, airy, almost humming sound, like a fan that was running on its lowest setting, and it was being emitted from the shadow guy's direction. My heart raced as we stood there locked in a stare down with one another. I knew that he was looking despite his apparent lack of eyes. I had no idea of his intentions and I wasn't looking forward to finding out, so I did the only thing that I could do, and that was build up the courage to start climbing back down the ladder. And yet, I once again was stopped right in my tracks as I watched the shadow guy move, not towards me thankfully, but to my left now standing just in front of the wall adjacent to the doorway. And despite his lack of eyes, he doesn't break his stare with me, even as he backs up and seemingly vanishes into the wall, or passes into it. There was no damage or any signs of force on said wall. He simply took a couple of steps back and disappeared as if he had never been present in the first place. And while I was mostly relieved... I couldn't help but also be confused. Was I in the clear? Did he really want to hurt me? Were his intentions ever hostile? Or was I really just a sitting duck and he'd be waiting for me somewhere else? And maybe he really wasn't after me, but why focus in on me? Why watch me through the cameras? Nothing was making sense, but I didn't have the time to try and piece it together. Cautiously, I climbed back up the ladder and got to my feet on the floor. Just to be safe, I glanced around the room and wanted to make sure there wasn't something or someone else that I had to look out for. I quietly passed the threshold of the empty doorway and found myself in a dingy, dimly lit hallway. The ceiling was infested with mold and the wooden walls seemed to be in the early stages of rotting. The smell was similar to that of being smothered in a pile of wet laundry that was long overdue for a wash. 
The hallway itself was no more than 15 feet long, with the majority of its length in front of me rather than behind. At the end of the longer half of the hall was a metallic door, one that had chains and a lock on its handle. I fiddled with both of them, the former of the two I tugged on and pulled back as hard as I could, but it yielded no results. I tried slamming my weight against it, but it didn't budge in the slightest. No amount of brute force was going to help me. Panic started to set in, and I began to wonder if I would ever get out of there on my own terms. I looked around the hallway for any sort of object or potential weapon that I could use to try and brute force the lock and chains, but I didn't get my hopes up too much, as I'm sure that they would have cleared the place out for potential weapons in the event that I ever escaped on my own. Turns out I wasn't going to even get a chance to bust my way out, even if I did find something, as I felt the sudden sensation of a pulling force on my lower chest. I swung my arm at the area just as a reflex, but I didn't feel it make contact with anything, so I darted my eyes down and I saw the arm and hand of the shadow guy seemingly phasing through the door. There was not a single bit of damage to the metal just his black, vibrating arm, hand, and fingers wrapped around a piece of my shirt. I wasn't given the chance to form a verbal reaction before I was violently pulled forward, and instead of being slammed into the thick hunk of metal that was that door instead, I continued to keep going straight forward. Everything went completely pitch black and cold. The air, if there even was any, felt so thin that I thought I was on the top of Mount Everest. Despite how nauseating the experience was, it only lasted for less than a few seconds. It took me a minute to get my bearings once the phenomena felt like it was over. Once I did, I found myself in the largest room that I had ever seen in all my time at the job. To even call it a room in the first place was a gross understatement. It was a lot closer in size to something like a warehouse. But don't let that give you the impression that it was empty. It definitely was not, far from it. Most of the walls were lined with steel piping and rusting metallic sheets and a coffer ceiling to complement them. Fluorescent lights hummed and buzzed from above as I stared out into what was a maze. A maze of desks, chairs, monitors, and speakers. Rows of desks with monitors upon them were lined up with aisles in a grocery store. And in this labyrinth it seemed as if I were alone, and I would have been if it weren't for my peripheral vision catching a glimpse of the shadow guy off to my left. I turned and there he stood, but during this encounter I didn't freak out or go into a panic. Rather, I just looked back at him, curious as to why he had brought me here, helped me escape, and had several opportunities to do me some sort of harm, and not seized a single one. What are you? I asked making an effort to keep my feet planted firmly where I was. Despite his menacing presence, I almost felt comfortable. Keyword almost. After all, it didn't seem like you wanted to hurt me at this point, but I wanted to know why. Seemingly mute, the shadow guy doesn't respond verbally. Instead, he approaches me and I feel my heartbeat shoot up in an instant. He stops just less than two feet away and then points over to a particular monitor, indicating that he wanted me to get closer and I do so, despite still being slightly on edge. The feed was displaying what looked to be the interior of someone's living room in the middle of the day. 
There was a couch, a large flat screen on a rectangular wooden stand, artwork on the walls, and a couple of wing chairs. A woman in a pair of jeans and a wrinkled button shirt sat on the couch. She looked to be relatively young, maybe in her mid-twenties. A blank expression rested on her face as she stared at the TV, and her body language suggested that she was tired, exhausted, and maybe even a bit irritated. But she suddenly shoots up at attention as a young girl runs into the room, and by extension, the frame. The woman throws her arms around the girl and lifts her up, spinning her around with a wide smile on her face before planting a kiss on her cheek. There was nothing abnormal going on, and that was the problem. The shadow guy then lunges forward, grabs the monitor, and launches it against one of the walls above the desk, smashing it clean in half upon impact. The sudden violence of it all made me nearly jump out of my seat, and still he never laid a finger on me. I glanced at several other monitors along the various tables and desks, and they all seemed to have feeds that displayed rather normal people in their homes. One had a family of five at a dinner table, another was a man in his bathroom doing some remodeling, a third depicted what looked to be a husband and wife in the midst of preparing a meal together and those were just a few of many. None of them gave the impression that they knew they were being monitored, and I knew they didn't. They were being spied on. These were normal, average, everyday citizens being watched in their homes like they were the subjects of some Truman Show-like experiment. It wasn't just homes, I even saw what looked to be the interior of some businesses. Large chains and mom-and-pop shops alike. It made sense they wanted to make sure those who owned or were in charge of whatever structures didn't neglect or mistreat said structures and cause them to manifest the same kinds of abnormalities that happened to my job. But this, this was not the way to go about it. Besides the many laws they broke in just by having secret cameras and private citizens' properties without consent, who knows all the things they've seen and heard that they weren't meant to, Maybe they used the footage from these illegal surveillance tools to unlawfully convict those who had allegedly committed crimes inside their property. Thinking about it all just made me sick. I sit there letting the revelation of it all wash over me like a tsunami of horrific information. My turn in this time, I intentionally glance at the shadow guy who had moved closer to me. He reached his dark and vibrating hand down toward the desk and off of it he takes a pen. Why are you showing me this? Why are you helping me? I asked, still desperate for more answers. The shadow guy then leaned forward and carefully grabbed the sleeve of my right arm when his form made contact with mine. I felt a sensation similar to that of being right in front of a fan as it was blowing at maximum power. His touch was cold and yet solid at the same time. It seems as if he had had full control of his own destiny. How else would you explain him being able to pass through walls but also pick up objects as if his hands were anything more than inky black shadows? He rolls up my sleeve and stops at my elbow, after which he slowly clicks the pen and begins to lower it down to my arm. In the moment, my instincts told me to yank my arm away and get back, but I didn't. I simply fought my own instincts of self-preservation. The tip makes contact with my skin and I slightly jerk back as a reflex but not enough to stop what was happening. 
The pen glides across my flashbulb without a single bit of pain. The ink then begins to take shape in the form of a letter. The letter J, that is. He then lifts the pen and shifts over to the right, just slightly before writing the letter A, after which came C, then O, and finally B. After B, he then lets the pen fall back onto the desk and pulls away from my arm as I look up at him with an expression of utter disbelief. I could tell that he was anticipating my reaction. Jacob? The shadow guy is, or was, Jacob. Incident Report 17B. It made sense now, the monitor that he smashed. The one that displayed the woman and the little girl that was his family. The family that he had left behind after he vanished. You, you're him, what happened to you? I asked, forgetting that I wouldn't be receiving a verbal response. Jacob stands there, his shadowy body flickering and vibrating as I stared, still dumbfounded. You don't want to hurt me, you never wanted to hurt me. Or Larry, did you? In response, Jacob slowly nods his head, which only urges me to probe further. Your family, have you tried to make contact with them? Jacob takes no action for several seconds, clearly hesitant to answer the question. Part of me was worried that I might have offended him or stepped out of line asking about his family. After all, we were strangers to one another. Strangers caught up in this twisted game of horrible bureaucracy and secret keeping, but still strangers nonetheless. I know you don't know me, but Larry, he told me about you. He's sorry for what happened to you and he still blames himself for it. Are you angry with him? I ask, somewhat fearing the answer. But Jacob simply nodded his head no, which admittedly brought me a bit of relief. Roger, I think he's planning to have him killed. Do you know where he might be? Before Jacob even had a chance to form some sort of a response, I heard the sound of a few different muffled voices coming from about a dozen feet in front of me. I stood to attention and saw that there was a large metallic door, similar to the one that Jacob had pulled me through except this one had an ominous red paint job. The voices approached closer to the threshold of the door, and I looked back over to my left to see that Jacob was now inexplicably gone. The sound of keys jangling and a bolt being undone sent me into a frenzy. I quickly looked around for something that I could use as a weapon. I unsecured a fire extinguisher from the wall, readying myself for the confrontation that was about to come. I placed myself right up against the wall adjacent to the door. Its width would only allow one person to come through at a time, and that's what I was counting on. Roger has Sam and Jared out looking for her. Somehow she got out of that room, a camera caught her climbing up the ladder. Came a raspy female voice on the other side of the door. How the heck did she bust the hatch open? Replied what sounded like a male. I'm not sure, but he wants us to search every inch of this place until we find her. If she gets out, we're screwed. I readied myself and gripped the extinguisher as hard as I could. The door hummed as it swung inward opposite the room that I was inside. Light poured in and I heard more keys and heavy steps that could only be made by thick boots. A woman enters, dressed in the same security gear as Roger's other guards. Behind her followed in two men who possessed the same equipment. Their guns were in their holsters and if I was quick enough, I could keep it that way. 
I lunged and bashed the man in the back of the line with the extinguisher. He fell to the floor unconscious with a loud thud, prompting the other two to turn around and be dumbfounded upon seeing me. Instead of reaching for his gun, the second man charged and collided against me with his body weight, sending me stumbling back and slamming into one of the desks with a monitor on it. I dropped the extinguisher in the process and was unable to get a hold of the unconscious guard's gun. He then goes to grab his gun to which the female guard stops him. I stare at the both of them with an expression that lets them know that I wouldn't let them have the satisfaction of seeing my fear. She's unarmed and Roger wants her alive. She snarls before going to reach for her radio, likely in order to call for backup. Something that I couldn't let happen. Sir, we found her in room 16A, requesting extra office. I suddenly lunge forward and reach out with my left arm, attempting to snatch the radio away from her. But the man once again throws his body weight forward and this time knocks me straight on my butt. Not only that, but I do an entire somersault backward after making contact with the floor, and I end up inside the hallway on the other side of the door. As soon as I could see what was in front of me again, the two guards wasted no time following up. The both of them grabbed and brandished black batons from their utility belts before entering the hall. Before I could even get to my feet, the female guard slammed her foot down onto my chest, keeping me pinned to the floor. You're a little nuisance, aren't you? She asked rhetorically in a tone of condescension. And you're Roger's glorified attack dog, gonna keep doing what he says. I growl in return, which seems to have struck a nerve as she angrily raised her baton behind her shoulder, preparing to bring it down on me. Oh, he said we have to bring you back to him alive, not unbruised. She responded with a sinister smirk, and I put my arms in front of my face to ready myself for the coming impact but it never arrived. Instead, I heard a loud, horrifying shriek of utter terror that was suddenly cut off almost as soon as it had started. The weight of the woman's foot on my chest was no longer present. I take my arms away and see that the female guard has completely vanished, with not a single trace of her left behind. The male guard was in a frenzied panic, looking all around the tight hall in desperation. What the heck? He gasped, this time dropping his baton and reaching to pull out his gun. I stayed right where I was, not wanting to be in the line of fire in case he got trigger happy, which I guess would have been understandable to some degree. But then a long, dark object came jutting out from the ceiling and made contact with the man on the back of his uniform. No! He cried out while firing off two rounds. His screams reaching an ear-shattering volume, only for said scream to be cut off as he was violently jerked upward into the ceiling, and instead of colliding with the tiles or causing any sort of damage, he simply went right through it, disappearing completely. But I was able to put two and two together, especially when Jacob emerged out of the area and the wall just under the ceiling. He snatched the male guard up in two. Oh, thank you, Jacob. I announce gratefully with a nod of respect, which Jacob himself returns. But our little moment soon got cut short. Down the long hall, which split into a three-way intersection of corridors, I heard the distant voices and footsteps of multiple people. Keys jangled, a boot slammed against the hard floor. He said she's down here, move it now. A commanding male voice shouted. I got to my feet and quickly darted back into the large security room 
and over to the unconscious guard who I had knocked out with the fire extinguisher. I knelt down and grabbed a hold of both his gun and baton. Even with Jacob around, I still wanted to be able to defend myself. Go, go, go! That same male voice exclaimed, but this time sounding far closer than before. I got to my feet and did a 180 seeing Jacob had once again vanished and that the several backup guards had had now rounded the corner. Stay right where you are. The one in front shouted and he was a rather burly man with a thick gray beard. I swung around in order to put the pistol to good use and fired a couple of shots low to the floor in their direction, causing them all to stumble backward and draw their own weapons as well. I quickly dived to the left, now being hidden behind the wall and having some form of cover. Without leaning my body, I reached around the corner with just the pistol in my hand, firing four more shots down into the hallway in order to keep them at bay before the gun clicked empty. Truth be told, I was still never any sharpshooter. How did she get her hands on one of our pistols? One of the guards blurted out frustratedly. It wasn't long before that frustration shifted into utter terror, as I heard the violent screams of multiple guards erupting at once. I carefully peeked over the door's threshold and found that three of them had already vanished, leaving four more left, two men and two women. I seized the opportunity to lunge over and grab a second magazine from the unconscious guard during the chaos of their panic, just in the event that it became necessary. The heck is that? One of the remaining guards shouted all of them frantically fired their weapons at the ceiling, walls, and floor. They were in such a frightened state that the thought of me had left their minds altogether. They all stood in the formation of a cross, looking around frantically. Jacob suddenly manifested through the right wall, his shadowy body leaning halfway out of it, as he wrapped both his arms around the bearded man and snatched him into the wall. The other three guards immediately turned their attention and fired at the spot where Jacob had pulled him into, only for two of their guns to click, making them frantically reach for other magazines in their belts in order to reload. But it was no use. Below one of the female guards, Jacob's arm emerged up through the floor and his hand wrapped firmly around her ankle. A blood-curdling scream left her lips as she dropped the magazine that she intended to reload her weapon with and unlike her, it stayed above the floor. One man and one woman remained. They likely wouldn't have time to reload their weapons, so they instead grabbed their batons, readying them as they kept their eyes fixated on the floor. The two of them didn't have time to prepare, as an arm emerged out of both walls at the exact same time parallel to each guard. One shadowy hand grabbed onto the woman and the other clutched the man. They shrieked in unison as they were pulled into the respective walls, silencing them both. I headed down the hall once the last two had been taken care of. Jacob had emerged from the left wall this time and began to lead the way. I've gotta ask, when you do that, pull them into the walls and whatever. Are they still alive? Jacob nods his head yes, which only brought up more questions than answers because the idea that I originally conceived in my head was that they were simply being pulled into the next room over, or into the inner workings of the ceiling, and they would eventually make their way back out. And yet, there was no banging, no screaming, no sounds of them pounding on the walls or the ceiling. Nothing. 
Are they just in the next room over? Or outside? I inquired. My eyes go wide as Jacob shakes his head now, and I figured it wouldn't be best to keep probing any further, so I just left it at that. Some questions are better left unanswered. I did, however, make sure to bring up something rather important, something that I had been meaning to mention ever since the chaos of my assisted escape had started. Larry, if he's alive, we need to find him. Do you know where he might be, Jacob? Oh, that won't be necessary. Came a creaky, familiar voice that prompted both Jacob and I to do a 180. And there down the hall, I laid eyes on Roger. Not only that, but he had a battered and bruised Larry in front of him, with an arm around his neck and a cloth in his mouth as a makeshift gag. His free hand held a pistol to Larry's skull as he looked down the hall at both of us. If either of you two moves a muscle, walks through a wall or a ceiling, I will use him to paint this hallway, he snapped. Let him go, I shout. Oh, why, so you two can run off and blab your mouse to the world? That's not going to happen. Roger fired back with a pained groan. The bite wound from Larry still visible on his hand. You're a lying sack of human garbage, spying on the public. Hundreds of cameras in private homes and businesses all around the area. Does it even end there? What about the next city over? The entire state? The country? It's for their protection. You don't get it, do you? Building structures, they need to be looked after, maintained. They need to be fed attention. If they aren't, things like him happen. Roger exclaims, signaling over to Jacob. The people need to be protected from their own carelessness and stupidity. They can't be trusted to do things correctly on their own. How would they even know what to do if you refused to tell them? Don't you see how stupid that logic is? We can't tell them. Roger erupts. Because the moment we do, things will erupt into absolute chaos. The first thing they'll do is start destroying property, burning down homes and businesses. Anything else they deem a threat. The economy would collapse into a black hole without people buying homes and property. Don't you get it? It doesn't justify a thing I saw in that room. And why are you even out here by yourself? Did you run out of guards? I asked in a taunting tone. Oh, I have plenty more in the way, don't you worry. And as for you... Roger paused, glaring at Jacob. And going after me is useless, you'll never be able to leave this place. The building won't let you get more than ten feet away from it. You belong to it now, you're tied to it. What did you think was going to happen? You were going to help those morons escape. Kill me and then go see that little girl who's going to grow up with no father. Because her daddy's a monstrosity. The kind of horrendous figure she would cower in fear of seeing in her closet or under her bed at night. Ah, look at you. Roger exclaims and for a split second he points the barrel of his gun toward Jacob and away from Larry's head. As a result, Larry immediately threw his head back, headbutting Roger in the chin and sending him stumbling backward as he discharged the weapon. The resulting bullet struck the floor and left a sizable hole within it. I took advantage of the opportunity to aim my own pistol and fire around at Roger, a round that struck him directly in the stomach, causing him to howl in pain as he dropped his own firearm. He clutched his abdomen and blood pooled in his hands and on the floor. Larry spit out the cloth in his mouth and grabbed Roger's pistol before running over to me, 
careful to hug the wall in case I had to fire my weapon again, which I thought I fully intended to do, but once the barrel was level with his head, I hesitated, questioning if I was truly ready to take a life, even if that life belonged to a man as twisted and ruthless as Roger. Even after I'm gone, there are people who will make sure your families will spend the rest of their lives searching for your bodies, but they'll find nothing but dead ends and cold trails. Killing me means nothing. He growled before spitting up some blood. He always did never have any clue when you should shut the heck up. Larry interjected, wiping some semi-dry blood off his forehead as he turned his head to me. It's good to see you again. You too. I nodded while still keeping my gaze on Roger. I see you made yourself a new friend as well, he adds, a hesitance present in his tone. Jacob then suddenly emerged from the wall to the right of where Roger sat, and there wasn't a single bit of hesitation as he leaned down and wrapped his shadowy hands around Roger's throat, before lifting him off the ground as if he were nothing more than a child's doll. And despite what looked to be his end, Roger didn't beg for his life or plead pathetically, no crying or wailing like a child. He did, however, begin to kick and physically resist as Jacob shifted and wrapped his hands around the top of Roger's head and positioned them in such a way that his thumbs were level with Roger's eyes. He then drove both his thumbs into his eye sockets, gouging them out as blood trickled down his face and clothing. His wails of agony filled the hall and lasted for several seconds. Larry and I looked upon the scene with a confusing mix of horror and relief, as morbid as it may sound and I wasn't sure if I would have even done it myself. I sure as heck wasn't going to stop it from happening. But his scream soon came to a hard halt and Jacob released his grip, allowing Rogers, a lifeless body, to collide with the floor before he turned his attention back over to us. Thank you, Larry stuttered, shocked at the sight of the being that he once thought was here to do us harm but I figured it was my cue to explain who this being really was, and Larry was completely flabbergasted upon learning the true identity of the entity. A mix of genuine surprise, a disbelief, and a hint of sadness. Jacob? No, it can't be. Is it really you, kid? He asked, his voice cracking slightly. I noticed his eyes becoming slightly wet, but a tear didn't drop, despite threatening to. Still standing in or levitating over Roger's corpse, Jacob nodded yes. I'm so sorry that I couldn't help you that you became this. It never should have been you, I... Jacob then lifts a hand up, signaling Larry to be silent and for good reason. Further down the hall in which Roger held Larry hostage earlier on, heavy footsteps echoed, keys jangled, and I picked up the sounds of multiple voices. All of those combined had already become familiar at that point and it was our cue to leave. Jacob then enters the same wall that he had exited in order to kill Roger, and suddenly one of his arms comes out of each of the walls closest to Larry and I. He grabs us and pulls us in. There's that split second of cold, empty darkness again before I suddenly feel the cool breeze and the sudden flooding of light into my eye. I found myself outside the left exterior of the building along with Larry as well. The both of us got to our feet and I saw that the sun was beginning to set in the distance. There was no sign of Jacob with us and if what Roger said was true, 
that he couldn't leave this place because he was now permanently tied to it. Then it meant that we would have to leave him behind. The idea of which made my stomach churn a bit, especially after everything he did to help us. But he seemed more than capable of taking care of himself. We gotta go, I announced to Larry, pointing at the woods that sat behind the building. Woods that we could use to disappear until we could find a road to hitchhike our way back home, which would be more than a little bit risky. But it was better than nothing. Even if we did have time to hotwire or steal one of the vehicles in the front parking lot, they were likely tracked. So it would only lead us to being caught sooner than we would like. I'll try to keep up, but if I can't make it, you go on without me, you understand? Larry grilled firmly to which I fired back with a sharp tone of my own. Don't even start with me, we're both getting out of this, now shut up and let's go. Larry and I made our way into the tree line, keeping our pace quick but slow enough for us to conserve energy in the event that we needed it. And despite his wounds, Larry kept up quite well. But I would be lying if I said I didn't become just a little nervous with every twig we snapped and leaf that we crushed. That feeling of being watched and pursued wouldn't end for a while. It was clear that going back there, even with Roger gone, would never be an option. We would have to find new jobs, maybe even lives. I thought about what I would do, where I would even go. I knew that when I did go home, I wouldn't be able to stay there for very long. Because all of this definitely isn't going unpunished. They would chase me to the ends of the earth. It was when we hadn't even put 500 feet of distance between us and the building that a bright orange-colored light slightly illuminated the trees around us. I, along with Larry, turned around and we both caught sight of a large gray cloud of smoke collecting above the building. Flames engulfed mainly the right side of it. I watched as they climbed and spread their way over it. There is a faint wailing and pained groans, but not any people in sight. The walls were far too thick for the guards to be heard from this distance, so it wasn't hard to realize that the building itself was screaming as it burned. The trees were at enough distance to where they wouldn't easily catch, but that thought still sat in the back of my mind. A good riddance, Larry muttered before his expression shifted slightly into that of surprise. Wait a minute, look. I squinted my eyes in an effort to find what it was that he was seeing, and it didn't take me long to do so, because in front of the burning structure stood Jacob, his shadowy body allowing the light of the fire to pass through, giving his outline an eerie glow. I could tell that he saw us just as we saw him. Despite the fact that he was outside, he likely couldn't move any further away from the property than that as whatever forces were at play were keeping him there. At least, that's what I thought. Up until something rather strange occurred, and yes, even by the standards of everything that I had seen up to that point. The opacity of his form seemed to slowly fade, as if he were being shaded lighter and lighter. It looked like he was simply fading away. The both of us could only watch as it happened, but... After everything that occurred, after everything that both he and I had to endure, watching him burn that place to the ground was just what I needed. He put up his hand and waved to the both of us just before disappearing completely. The building's hold on him had been released as it went up into flames and I'm not sure exactly what he meant for him but 
hopefully some sort of peace at the very least. Eventually, Larry and I made it out of the woods and hitchhiked our ways home. Larry moved his family out of the state almost immediately and offered me to come with, but I couldn't because I wasn't quite done yet. Thank you, Olivia. He told me in our last meeting at the diner. For everything. When I arrived back home and went through my car, I retrieved the folder that Larry had handed me outside the building before my first encounter with Roger. It contained a thumb drive as well as several pieces of documentation that when read by the right people would prove the wrongdoings of what went on in that bureau. The thumb drive itself contained several hours of footage of dozens of different private residences and buildings, along with evidence that would prove where that footage had originated from. I both mailed and emailed several copies of the documents to both big and small news organizations alike. I handed the thumb drive over to the biggest of all those and afterward, I emptied all my bank accounts, packed my car up and started on the road, having no idea where it might take me. I only cared that it was somewhere far away from where they would think to look for me. Maybe someday they would find me, perhaps that day will come sooner than I think, but for now I could rest easy knowing that I don't have to return to that office. And as I write this final message to you all, just remember, things aren't always what they seem. If you find strange wires or devices in your home, destroy them. Who knows what they've seen or heard. And as far as I go well, I want to stay off the radar as much as possible. So lugging around an easily traceable laptop won't really help much. It's been Olivia, signing off one last time. Thank you all for listening to this week's episode. I hope that you enjoyed it. Wherever you may be in the world, I hope that you're staying safe and sound. And as always, stay creepy. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.